0: Welcome to the Defiant Business Podcast, a business podcast produced by Defy the Status Quo for forward-thinking businesses and savvy professionals looking to defy the status quo of mediocre customer experiences, barely surviving businesses, and haphazard business development. We'll explore best marketing and sales practices, improving business processes, attracting your ideal clients or customers, striking your perfect work-life balance, business basics, intentional inclusion in business, and so much more. Thank you for joining me today. Let's do this. Hey there! Welcome back to another episode of the Defiant Business Podcast. I'm your host Ruthie Bowles, and I am the founder of Defy the Status Quo, a personal brand growth strategy company. And I have a wonderful guest that I connected with on LinkedIn with me today. Her name is Katrina Baker. Thank you so much for being with me today.
1: Thank you for having me, Ruthie.
0: So excited. So (laughs) this is my first time kind of getting this foray into talking with this new audience and using my platform, I think, to amplify voices of people who are doing awesome things. And I am just super proud to have you help me like spearhead this effort by being my first guest in the activism arena. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for that too.
1: Awesome. I'm excited.
0: All right. So before we get into our questions and we, you know, let the audience learn a little bit more about you, I'm gonna go ahead and read off your bio here. Okay. Now everybody who's listening, go ahead and buckle up because, like, you're gonna be like, "How did you fit that all into one paragraph?" But she did, and it's awesome. There's, it was complete surprise, but she's an amazing person. So, Cortina is the senior organizer at Dreamcore Justice, formerly known as Cut50. Before joining Cut50. Cortina was the North Carolina organizer for a global reproductive rights campaign where she led the digital strategy for the campaign and managed volunteer teams to advocate for family planning and comprehensive reproductive health care for individuals around the globe. Having obtained a law degree, Cortina has offered her legal expertise working as a consultant for attorneys, advocacy organizations, and grassroots political campaigns. She also launched a digital campaign for a death row inmate that went viral and has gained support from celebrities and people all over the world. Cortina has a BA in communications from the University of West Florida and received her Juris Doctorate from Atlanta's John Marshall Law School. Now, that's an awesome bio. (laughs) And it sounds like to me, and we're going to learn more about this, but it sounds Uh like to me that you have spent a long time working to make things better for other people.
1: That's very true indeed.
0: And that's the common thread that I see Mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. But I have to ask, I have to ask because like, I don't know a lot of people who have made that particular career change. And then I love how even, you know, pre-career change, Post-career change, you still have a lot of commonalities in terms of helping people. But what made you decide to get your law degree? Well,
1: I'll preface that with saying that, first of all, I never thought I was smart enough to go to law school. So I know there are a lot of people out there that are listening probably feel the same way. You know, growing up in from small town, Arkansas, you know, I was I was taught to to really go after like those lofty goals such as, you know, law school. I was always told, you know, get a good job with benefits. But when I was in 10th grade, I'll make a long story short. When I was in 10th grade, I ended up, I was very much into like civil rights, the civil rights movement and studying that and, you know, really understanding social movements in different cultures, particularly the civil rights movement. And I discovered the Black Panther Party, much to my parents' dismay, because they are, they grew up feeling that, you know, thinking that the Black Panthers were just gun-toting thugs. But I began to research and read on my own and realized that they were these amazing group of activists who really cared about their community and making their community a better place. And of course, for those who don't know, the Black Panther Party was started in Oakland, California in the late 1960s. I stumbled upon this book with a number of addresses in the back of political prisoners. I just picked one and wrote to him. And his name was Geronimo Pratt, also known as Tupac's Godfather was in prison and he eventually got out of prison after the state of California admitted that they lied and hid evidence on him. But I wrote to him and he kind of, you know, he was shocked that someone my age was writing. I think I was like 15 or 16 at the time. And he told me, he's like, I just feel like you're going to do something to help people like me or people in my situation. And, you know, you should go to law school. And I was like, there's no way. I'm like, I'm not going to law school. I want to be on TV. I actually have a degree in radio, TV and film. But fast forward to, you know, getting married, having children. In 2012, the state of Georgia, they say executed. I say they murdered. Troy Davis a man from Savannah Georgia who was convicted of killing a police officer no evidence witnesses recanted their statements never any dna evidence connecting troy to this murder and i was i that's that was kind of my first real move into activism like that you know where we would go on protests and protest and hold signs to you know, get the governor or someone to intervene. I'm going to prevent this. And, you know, of course he was executed. And I I grieved Troy for about three days. And on that fourth day, I got up and I went down the street to Barnes and Noble and bought all the LSAT study guidebooks. (laughs) And I started studying. So I started law school, you know, I think I was about 36 years old or close to 36. I was a mom of three. And yeah, that's, that's pretty much what put me on the path. And I never got to tell Geronimo that you were right.
0: (laughs) So that's it in a nutshell. That's amazing. And so I'm taking a couple of things from that story. Like the big one being that really you, it's never too late to do what it is you feel called to do. Right. And Mm. you never know where inspiration will come from.
1: Yeah. And I think another thing, too, I grew up in, you know, like I said, in small town, Arkansas, a number of my family, you know, my grandparents never went to college. I've had friends who their grandparents and great grandparents even have gone to college. And I don't know what that's like. But my grandfather was a community organizer and I was a kid riding around Little Rock in these big government buildings with him, watching him have these meetings and didn't quite understand, but I knew something was happening. So to be able to see that and have that, you know, that beginning, it's like those seeds planted in such a way, you know, how could I not push through and honor my grandfather?
0: And like so, that, I mean, and being in Little Rock, like you were in an area that was just steeped in mm-hmm. the civil rights movement. I know, right. you know, So I I went to school in California and Pennsylvania, so pretty much pretty far away from uh, far away from Arkansas and and everywhere else. But I mean, you know, we've we've got like, you know, the pictures they prop up whenever it is that they're they're teaching us about this Mm -hmm. era and Mm -hmm. our history. And then, you know, they just kind of move us along. But I mean, you would have been steeped in it just from from living there. And then, you know, being with your grandfather, you know, being that community organizer, he would have had so much to tell you, I imagine.
1: Yeah, yeah. And like I said, I wasn't quite grasping it, you know, Bill Clinton would come down to our farm, and I wouldn't know who he was just some white man. And I'd be like, hey, you know, he would have meetings with my grandfather. And I just, I have to say, though, even though I didn't have a full comprehensive of it, like it was it left an impression on me. So I knew that whatever my grandfather was doing, that I wanted to do something similar to be able to make a difference. Mm -hmm. And and even when I went home, I went home, I spent a number of months last 2019 in Arkansas. And I met with a a member of the Arkansas State Legislature and, you know, just wanted to speak with him and talk, talk about what was going on in my hometown, in my home state. And he asked who my people were. That's the question you get in the South. Who are your people? And I told him, it's like, my grandmother's Naomi Baker. I know I said my last name is Baker. I'm from Hensley, Arkansas. And he's like, do you know Naomi? I was like, that's my grandmother. And he was like, your grandmother and your grandparents were phenomenal. Like, do you know what all they've done? And do you know how hard your grandmother fought to get that park in your grandfather's name? Like, my grandfather has a park dedicated in his memory back home. And it just, it really, it really just made me feel proud. Well, I'm
0: feeling proud just knowing you. So there we go. But no, that that's that's amazing though and it just, you know, it just seems like it was in your DNA almost. Yeah,
1: it is. It's in each of our DNAs. I think everyone has purpose. Everyone is born with purpose. I just think some of us let go of that fear and the doubt and, you know, the voices of the naysayers in our heads and we just go for it. And honestly, even with my resume, I still struggle with walking in my purpose. So I wake up each day and that's an affirmation for me. I will walk in my purpose, you know, because it's a struggle. And so I think if we all remember that, you know, you may not have grown up with your grandfather having meetings with folks and being able to see that, but that does not mean you still, you don't have purpose. And I think it's, it'll be a shame to have lived that life and get at the end and realize I I never did anything to push myself out of that comfort zone in order to achieve my greatness and my purpose.
0: Okay. Well, that's, that's a sound bite right there. (laughs) But no, I I think that, that there are people who need to hear that. I know I'm I'm one of those people for sure, but I think that there are going to be people who listen, who are going to need to hear that just because at at macro levels and micro levels right now, we're all going through massive amounts of change and it's almost dizzying, mm-hmm. right? Like you're, you're coming out of this spiral and you're dizzy and you don't know which way to go, which way is up, down, which way is the right way. Am I going backwards? Mm-hmm. You know, heaven right. forbid, you know, so I, I think that it's in a way it's, it's comforting to hear mm-hmm. that it's something that you choose to focus on every day. Despite, right. you know, looking from the outside, from an outside perspective, it's like, of course she's going to go do that. <laughs> and yeah. you're like, no, it's an active choice that I make every day. Intentional. So it's intentional, very intentional an intentional choice. So I think that that's definitely an important takeaway for people who maybe are feeling a bit lost right now, which I is not uncommon by any stretch. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And just keep pushing my God, like, the world needs whatever gifts that you have, the world needs.
0: So you are the senior organizer at Dream Corps Justice, but you also work as a consultant, right? And that's, you know, that's what I said in your bio, right? You work, you know, as a consultant for attorneys, advocacy organizations, and grassroots political campaigns, mm-hmm. right? And I, I think that that's awesome, first of all, especially because I know that the Dream Corps organization is bipartisan, you know, working with both sides of the aisle to put forth like real change, be a catalyst for real change. So I wanted to ask who an ideal client is for you. I would say an ideal client,
1: like my focus and my passion is working in the criminal justice reform sphere. So an ideal client for me would be someone, and you see a lot of these unfortunately Ruthie, is people that are, in prison and they're not wrongly convicted and I feel like they don't have a voice. And it's weird answering that question, because when you think about what's your ideal client, you wouldn't think, Oh, it's someone in prison.
0: No, <laughs> um, but that's, that's, that makes it, I think, well, yeah. I think it
1: makes it the perfect answer, but that is, that's my ideal client. And to give more life to that, to that answer, the answer that I'm giving is the last campaign I worked on before coming on full-time to cut 50 is a young man named Julius Jones. He's on death row in Oklahoma. And a lot of people know Julius's name. A lot of people may have heard Julius's name, but he was featured on The Last Defense and it was produced by Viola Davis, premiered on ABC the summer of 2018. And I was just at home watching that show and I saw Julius come on the screen and I didn't even know what the show was about. I just, I mean, I knew what it was about. I didn't know what Julius's story was specifically, but I looked at it and I said, I'm going to help bring him home. And I watched, I waited because of course the lawyer and me, I'm going to wait, I'm going to watch every episode and I'm going to do a little research on my own and look at the evidence. And I came to the conclusion that there is no reason why this young man should be locked up in prison. And Julius and I, had um, We come from similar background. He's from Oklahoma City. I'm from Little Rock, which is very similar cities. We graduated high school the same year, started college the wow. same year. And Ruthie, I literally went back in my mind where I was. Julius had just finished his first year of college at OU. He could have been an amazing basketball player, could have gone to the NBA. His high school coach was Blake Griffin's father. And Blake Griffin's father, pretty much like this guy was the truth on the court, but he went to OU not on an athletic scholarship, but on an academic scholarship, having graduated like 11th out of a class of almost 200 students. So I felt that. And I remember where I was after first year coming home that summer, going back to college and just excited to see my friends, the, those first college parties that first week and getting settled in your classes. And I thought about Julius sitting in jail. And that was the connection for me. And I was like, you know, I'm going to do whatever I can. I be, You know, I talked to him. He connected me with his sister, who in turn connected me with another sorority sister, who happened to have just moved to Oklahoma City. And we got together and put our heads together and the team just grew from there. Yeah. It's amazing to watch, you know, something that you believe in and have worked hard on to just grow and blossom. So it started with just me and her. And now we had a few hundred signatures on his change.org. Now I, I haven't checked in a few weeks, but I, the last time I checked it, I know it was over 6 million or so <laughs> signatures. Now, Kim Kardashian is on board. She actually went to visit him on and his family in Oklahoma. A lot of celebrities have just joined in in unison to call for a change in his case.
0: Wow. okay, so actually this rolls right into my next question So I wanted to ask you what it is that you typically do for clients, but maybe you can kind of describe how things kind of got started mm-hmm. with your work with Julius and and trying to get his you know his case changed to, you know, kind of how it grew. I mean, obviously it took on a lot of momentum yeah. and just, you know, I'm sure blossomed beyond your wildest dreams, but <laughs> I'd love to know like kind of what it looked like here at the the start and then how you, mm-hmm. you know, grew it on.
1: Yeah. And typically, you know, social media campaigns are very structured. There's a mm-hmm. lot of structured around structure around them. There's a lot of research. There's a lot of tailoring your message to your target audience. There's a lot of, oh, we got to build personas, you know. And what I love about working in this sphere is there, there's none of that. Now, I'm not gonna say none of it, a lot but of less, it, but a lot less. So it's it's like you move with soul. And I love moving in so, with soul in my work, and that comes from a feeling of what you know will resonate and pull at people's heartstrings. So when I connected with uh, my sorority sister Cece out in Oklahoma City, we just literally sat down with a couple of young ladies in Oklahoma City who decided to lend their time to build a brand guide. And that's the things with these kind of campaigns, social media, working for someone on death row or in prison, there's no budget. <laughs> there's right. no budget. Unless, and but that this is a new landscape so like who knows in the future there could be nonprofits whose job is specifically to work on that and they get funding to build right. amazing campaigns but julius is really one of the first of its kind social media professionally branded social media awareness campaign so we start had to start from scratch people donating their time to build a brand guide a logo what colors. Instead of just posting at random, we we're very intentional with our posts. And I think the cool part about our team is that CeCe is very good at organizing. She has a divinity degree from Yale. So she's very knowledgeable. She's very, She knows how to talk to people. And with me, I have some of those same characteristics, but you know, having gone to law school, I can draft a caption for his campaign that really breaks down the legal issue succinctly so that the common person can understand what this means and why it was wrong. Messaging, of course, is super important. So being able to get to the drawing board and sit down and, and plan out you know, the logo, the colors, how we're gonna organize everything, We decided the most effective way was to host screenings of The Last Defense, which is the show that Julius won. So we started with that idea and it grew to having a Julius Jones Awareness Month in November of 2018, Julius Jones Awareness Month. We were gearing up for that and we knew we were doing something right because word got back to the district attorney of Oklahoma County and the day before We set to start do the Julius Jones Awareness Month was was November first. On October thirty first, he released some DNA evidence, some results of DNA evidence that he claimed they got tested that showed that Julius's DNA was on a red bandana allegedly worn by the perpetrator of the crime. And of course, you know you read you look you hear that and that's the big headlines in the newspapers across Oklahoma City, and you're like, okay. But if you actually look at the report, that's not quite what it said. Basically, it was inconclusive is what it came down to. There was not enough to really sufficiently say that that was Julius's DNA. I think there were some similar markers. I don't want to, I can't, I'm not a scientist. I don't want to get too far in the science of it. But anyone in, the bandana was found in Julius's home. But the person who committed the crime had spent the night at Julius's house. And of course, that planted it there. So who knows who would have touched it? Who could have picked it up? It doesn't mean that jewel is. Yeah, no. And none of the none of the cells were like saliva, which if you had worn a bandana across your face, it would have mm-hmm. been no. So you know, typically things aren't just black and white, cut and dry. And but right. he released these results the day before. That was <laughs> intentional. Somebody else is
0: being intentional.
1: <laughs> yes, but it didn't deter us. I will say that. I was living in Atlanta, Atlanta's home. CeCe's out in Oklahoma City along with Julius's family. And I will say that we were up against a mountain because in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma is a good old boy state. Like from my understanding, there are still sundown towns. Like if you're Black, you know to get in the house after. And like, it's, there are a lot of racial history, a lot of lynchings, the Black Wall Street in Tulsa. Yeah. So it took a lot to really you know, get through the hearts and minds of the people there. So we had to really be strategic. And with Cece having that religious background, she knew exactly what to do. We went to the churches. Churches are a huge thing in the South. Yeah. So let's build a toolkit for these churches to have them open and have conversations about Julius's Julius's case and what's going on, get them to have a prayer service for Julius. And that's where we started. And I think that's knowing your audience and where to start is huge in this, knowing your local community. And once we got the church on board, I think everything else just kind of grew from there. A lot of people in Oklahoma support Julius.
0: And so, so for you, it was like, okay, so we have this social media aspect, the social Mm -hmm. media side, right? Where you're able to really blast it out and, and people, you know, like Kim Kardashian eventually pick it up. Mm -hmm. But you also had the In real life, the IRL aspect of it, not forgetting that piece and knowing, as you said, Mm -hmm. your audience, Mm -hmm. what would really strike a chord with this audience. And then, of course, there you were, the churches and toolkits and, Mm and prayer services. So I think that that, like, I mean, it really brings, doesn't bring meaning to The ask, you know, the idea of doing a campaign exactly, but as somebody who has spent a lot of time in the business sphere and then looking at the activism sphere, Mm -hmm. I often see people neglect. You know, they're like, "Oh, I need to get ten thousand followers or whatever Mm -hmm. they they think they're aiming for," and then actively neglect the people they already know, right? Neglect the network that they've already built Mm -hmm. instead of. You know, not forgetting, hey, you if you already have a network of people, if you already know people, what about those people who already have that connection to you?
1: Because they're valuable to you. They're valuable. Right. And we really couldn't push or put pressure on the state of Oklahoma without people who live in Oklahoma.
0: That's right. And it's, and Mm -hmm. I think what's important for anybody who, who is, you know, operating and thinking, geez, Ruthie, how is this helpful? Consider what it is that Christina and her team are trying to accomplish. Right. Right. When you're doing social media, you're trying to get people to buy things from you, like actual pay money for services, let's say, but Mm -hmm. in her case, right, Christina, with what you're doing, you are trying to get people to at least open their minds to, if not completely jump on board with a belief, an right. idea of what this sense of what is right, looking at these things from, from this perspective, this is what is right. And what has occurred before is wrong. Right. And I think that that is almost simultaneously easier and harder to do, because as mm-hmm. you say, you get to move from a position of soul, Mm-hmm. to move with that, like that energy of something deep inside of you. And when other people hear it, people like me, it resonates. Right. So I'm ready to move now too. Right. You know, so in that way, it's almost easier, but at the same time you're, you have to decide like, okay, how are these elements going to come together and work for the cause in this way? Whereas I think sometimes in business, it's almost a little more cut and dry when you're just like, look, you're supposed to hit buy.
1: <laughs> yes,
0: <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Wow. So that was an incredible introduction to you. And we even got a little taste of some of the stuff we're going to talk about in the next episode. So for Mm -hmm. anybody listening, make sure that you tune in. If this, if you're listening to this on the, the release date, make sure that you tune in tomorrow. Or if it's been released for a while, make sure you just go into the next episode because Christina and I are going to talk about digital digital marketing, digital campaigns, probably even campaigns in general because I'm flexible like that, but doing digital marketing for activism and looking at it from that perspective because a lot of people are stepping into that role. But before we go, Kratina, do you have a favorite social media platform for for people to connect with you on? Sure, I spend most of my
1: time on Instagram. It's just easier for me and you can connect with me there at Kratina, that's K-R-A-T-I-N-A, Baker, B-A-K-E-R.
0: And you follow, I will follow you back. All right, awesome. And then of course, if you have any questions about you know, some of the things that has talked about, be sure to connect with her. And We'll have her links in the show notes for this episode, but be sure to connect with her and ask, right? Like if you ask her that one question, whatever that question is in your head, I am sure that she will be able to answer you yes. and direct you uh, no matter what it is. But thank you so much, Cortina, for being with me. And I'm really excited for the next episode. Thank you. Me too, Ruthie. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode of the Defiant Business Podcast. Please make sure that you've subscribed and do be sure to leave us a review if you found this episode at all helpful. And if you think it would be a great resource for someone else, be sure to share it with them. See you next time.